learned a long time ago, as many of you have probably learned, there's some things you don't talk about at the holiday table without stirring up some controversy. Religion and politics, right? That's what they say anyway. Don't bring those up. I remember one time when I was a teenager at a Thanksgiving meal with some extended family and I said something about some of both, something religious and something political and I could feel the awkward silence around me at the table. That was the first vivid memory where I was like, oh, wow. Wow, this is really awkward right now. We sometimes don't like to talk about those things uh, because they do stir the pot. Uh, Dave Barry said this, people who want to share their religious or political views with you almost never want you to share yours with them. (laughs) You ever find that? It comes up, often people aren't looking for a conversation. They just want you to hear what they believe. But the passage we're in today, Jesus, our Savior, is going to talk about both. He's going to talk about the kingdom of God, and He's going to talk about government. Because you know what? Jesus just doesn't care (laughs) about stirring the pot. He's Lord of all, and He stirs the pot when He wants to stir it. So I want to look at what He teaches us and, and see what it might have to say to us in 2016 America in an election year. Because it's on all our minds, right? It's everywhere. On the news, we're thinking about it. And as I talk about this, what Jesus taught, I'm going to try to follow the advice of the great theologian, George Burns. <laughs> you know, picture him with this cigar. You know what he said about a, a good sermon? He said, a good sermon has a good beginning and a good end and as little in between as possible. <laughs> he, he liked them short. I'm going to try to keep it short this morning, but I do want to unpack what Jesus said. Now, timeline-wise, we're two days before He's crucified. He's come into Jerusalem. It's Wednesday of that week, many of the scholars believe. He's he's in the city. And in Luke chapter 20, verse 19, it says this. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest Him immediately because they knew He had spoken this parable against them. He had just told a story that said they were mishandling their authority. And God was going to take their authority away because they would not receive the Messiah. They didn't like Him telling that story about them, so they wanted to arrest Him, but they were afraid of the people. Some people have asked me, and I wondered myself along the way, why is it that they had to pay Judas to lead Him to Him in a private place in the garden? You know, why didn't they just throw the cuffs on Jesus? They saw Him teaching all the time. The answer, those leaders were afraid of the people because many of the people loved Jesus. They didn't want the people to know what was going on. That's why they they hatched this plan with Judas. They were afraid of the people. So keeping a close watch on Jesus, these leaders sent spies who pretended to be sincere. The Greek word is the word we get the word hypocrite from. When it says pretended, they were sending spies to put Jesus in a trap, but they put on this appearance that they really wanted to learn from Jesus and Let them change their lives. They were hypocrites. They were spies trying to trap Him. That's what the next verse says. They hoped to catch Jesus in something He said so that they might hand Him over to the power and authority of the governor. I think about these hypocrites coming to Jesus and it leads me to the question, how do I approach Jesus? 
Do I approach him really wanting to learn from him? Or do I approach him with my own motives in mind? I want to recruit him to help me push my agenda. I want his stamp of approval on what I want. You look around Google in an election year, and it's interesting how many images of Jesus are out there. If you just go to Google and click on images and type in Jesus, you know what I found? I found a warlord Jesus. I found a libertarian Jesus. I found a socialist Jesus. I found a Republican Jesus. I found a Democrat Jesus. It's amazing how many different Jesuses are on Google. Why? Because a lot of people want to take Jesus and use Him to push their agenda instead of learning what He would have to say. These guys had their own agenda. They wanted to trap Him. Verse 21 says, The spies questioned Him. And here, here they begin to lay out the trap. Teacher. That was high praise. When you call somebody a teacher in that society, it was a very elevated position. You don't just call anybody rabbi or teacher. We know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. What are they doing here? This is pure flattery. Because almost every time Jesus speaks truth throughout his ministry, if you've been following us, these guys fight against it, right? This is like when, when you wake up in the morning and, and one of your kids comes to you and says, Dad, your hair looks really good today. Where'd you get that cool shirt, man? That looks awesome. It makes you look really muscular. What? <laughs> what yeah, exactly. That's where you go. What do you want? <laughs> you can smell flattery. These guys are trying to flatter Jesus. They're trying to flatter him to get him off his game because they responded to pride a lot in their ministry. They love when people build them up. So they say, hey, maybe Jesus loves that too. Maybe we can get him so proud and puffed up he'll get off his game here. Say something that will get him in trouble. We all know Jesus doesn't play that. But they're going to try it. Verse 22, after their flattery, they say, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Many of you know the cultural climate at that time. Israel was under the rule of Rome. Rome had an empire that stretched from India around much of the known world. There were soldiers involved. And at the top of it all, there was a ruler named Caesar. Now the trap they set for them was this. He said, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They knew, they thought Jesus had two options. Jesus could say, no, don't pay taxes to Caesar. And you know what? They would have run to Rome and said, this guy's a revolutionary. He's fighting against you. Arrest him. He just said, we shouldn't pay taxes to you. That's the one side of the trap. The other side is he could say, yes, you should pay taxes to Rome. And all these people who were hoping Jesus would overthrow Rome in the crowd would say, what? That's not the kind of Messiah we want. And they would turn against him. In human terms, this is a real pickle. They're pretty smart in human terms, but Jesus operates on a different plane, right? Before we get to his answer, I want to talk to you about this tax. It was a denarius. And there's a famous painting by a man named Titian that came out in the 1500s. He made this painting. It's a picture of what, what he imagined it being like when the Pharisee asking the question, handed Jesus the coin. And the coin they were talking about was what was used to pay the poll tax to Rome. 
pay the Romans. And this is what it looked like. Next slide. It had a picture of Tiberius Caesar, that handsome guy on the left. Had some other stuff on the backside. And there was an inscription that indicated that Caesar was divine. This was the coin in question. So what would Jesus say now that the trap is sprung? Do, do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we? He saw through their duplicity. Jesus always does. He knows when people are playing games with him. He sees through all the stuff that might confuse us and said to them, Show me a denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied, just like we saw. Tiberius Caesar is on this thing. We said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. They wanted a simple yes or no. What Warren Wiersbe said Jesus did, he lifted the discussion to a much higher level and forced the spies to think about the relationship between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of men. What's he saying to him? He's saying, that denarius has Caesar's image on it. Yes, pay your taxes. Even though Rome had much corruption in it, there was much good they brought to the world at that time. They created roads. They brought something called Pax Romana, which was peace across much of the empire. And Jesus is saying, you owe them as your authority. Pay the taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now this part's really powerful. What was the image on the coin? Caesar. So that goes to Caesar. Give to God what is God's. Think about this. Whose image are human beings created in? You and I are created in the image of God. What's he saying? He's saying all of our worship, our trust, our submission, our obedience to God. But he's also showing them, look, you guys thought God and government were kind of an either or thing. I'm showing you it's a both and. Because government is part of God's plan. Government is part of God's plan. Yes, we worship God, but government is part of God's plan. Verse 26, we find them in this spot often. They were unable to trap him in what he had said. These guys are like Wiley Coyote. <laughs> and astonished by his answer, they became silent. They don't want to learn from him. They hear his answer. They're astonished by his wisdom. They don't want to change. They just stubbornly remain silent. And isn't that what we do sometimes? We come to Jesus and we hear something we don't want to hear. Well, he didn't say what I wanted him to hear, so I was going to be silent. I don't want to hear that. The rest of the message, I want to think about this, this thing Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And I want to think about how that ought to play out in the life of believers in 2016 America in an election year. And as I thought about it, I want to break down three different views of God and government. The first two, if, if we find ourselves in these categories, we got some growing to do. The third one is what I believe to be the biblical picture of how we ought to view God and government. So go with me on this. This may be a little uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable as I studied it. But let's look at it. The first twisted view is this. God is everything. 
Government is nothing. God is everything. Government is nothing. This is the view that says this. I'm not going to get involved in doing anything to make a difference. Because the government, all we see in the government is corruption. That's all we focus on. So I'm not going to get involved to make a difference. We, we, we hear jokes like about the, the little boy who says to his dad, Dad, I'm thinking about when I grow up, I want to be in organized crime. And he says, oh, really? Private sector or government? <laughs> and to be sure, there, there is corruption to be found in government. But some of us, that's all we see. God is everything. Government is nothing. It's all corruption, so I'm not going to get involved. Another way this might come out is, I'm not going to vote. I gave up on that a a long time ago. And I certainly wouldn't consider being part of the solution in my local government. I'm much too holy for that. I mean, Jesus Christ would never enter into a sinful system to redeem it, would he? How about this? I enjoy making unkind, hateful remarks about those in government I disagree with. Even attacking their appearance. Their dress. The way I speak to them, about them is often less than human. Because I think God is everything. Government is nothing. All I see is the corruption. You know what Warren Wiersbe says about this mindset towards government? He says, it's unfortunate that some Christians have the mistaken idea that the more obnoxious they are as citizens, the more they please God and witness for Christ. We must never violate our conscience, but we should seek to be peacemakers and not troublemakers. That's the first view we need to grow out of. God is everything. Government is nothing. Here's the second view. Let's go back to that first slide. Government is everything. God is nothing. You know how I see this come out even among God's people? I hear it in phrases like this. I believe everything hinges on this candidate getting in. Or if this policy doesn't pass, it's all over. It's all over. Or I believe that without this government program, our family will have no hope. Or how about this? I spread the news about my favorite candidates and issues more than I spread the good news of Jesus Christ. No matter what we say, if we live like that, we're living like government is everything and and God is nothing. What's the biblical picture Jesus is telling us when He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's? Here's the biblical picture, and I want to unpack it from Scripture. I hope this will characterize our body of believers, not just this year, but into the future. Government is part of God's plan. That's the biblical picture. And I think about what belongs to Caesar. You know, in that day, Basically, all they could give was their taxes and obedience because this was a dictatorship. They didn't get to vote, okay? I think in our context, given to Caesar what is Caesar's in the government of the people, by the people, for the people, goes beyond willingly giving our taxes. It should include that, but it also includes our involvement, right? It's of the people, by the people, for the people. We ought to be a people who are involved 
voting, etc. But here's a number of principles. If we want to live this out, do we believe Jesus when he says government is part of God's plan? Here's how it can play out. First, I will pray and worship God above all, trusting that whoever gets voted in and whatever is passed, he is in control. I think we've sometimes got this view of God where we've brought him down. And we don't really believe he's in control. We don't believe it in our core that God is in control, no matter what is going on around me. Listen to the words of Peter in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. He says, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake, for God, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now some of us read that and say, well, surely that must have been a Christian emperor. <laughs> Let's go back and study history. Historians believe this is one of two emperors at the time. One was an emperor named Domitian, known for persecuting Christians. The other was an emperor named Nero, who literally used Christians, burned them on a stake to light his garden. And Peter is saying, honor the emperor, and we don't want him to say that. As we process this, how? How? Warren Wiersbe says, if you can't respect the person, at least respect the office. I was reading in the Old Testament this week, Ezra 1.1. You know, the, the Jews had been in captivity for 70 years. God had said they would come back after that. And in Ezra 1.1, it says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, pagan Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation. You know what the proclamation was? To send the Jews back to their, their land. This is a pagan king, and it says God moved his heart. God can move the hearts even of unbelievers to get his will done. Do we believe God is in control? No matter who's voted in. Here's a second idea. I will obey our government willingly unless they command me to do something against God or stop doing something He commands me to do. Romans 13, this is Paul. Paul had a little trouble at the hands of his own government, did he not? Listen to what he says in Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He goes on in verse 5 of that chapter. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. 
If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And I wonder if we as a people are characterized by willingly obeying the government that Paul says God has established. Does that describe our words and our actions? I said except when they tell us to stop doing something God has told us to do or to violate God's commandment. You remember in the book of Acts, they called the apostles before them. So we told you to stop talking in the name of Jesus. You remember what the apostles said? We must obey God rather than human beings. If it comes to that point, then yes. No, I will not obey you, government. I will spread the word of Jesus. Another idea. I will stay informed about the issues and candidates. I think that's an important thing for us as Christians in a democracy. In the Old Testament, there was a tribe called Issachar. And God commended them for something interesting. He commended them because they were men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. I think we should be those kind of Christians. We should know our times and what's going on around us and what should be done. We should not have our heads buried in the sand. We should know what's going on. I will speak the truth in love when I share the policies and candidates I believe represent biblical values. I will speak the truth, but I will do it in love. I will share respectfully my thoughts about candidates and policies I disagree with. Is that something we could commit to as a body of believers? Yes, there are things we disagree with. Yes, there are people we disagree with. Speak to that, but do it respectfully. When Peter speaks of sharing the gospel, even in 1 Peter 3, he says, do this with gentleness and respect. Why? Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Listen, if we talk about what we disagree with the same way the world talks about what they disagree with, they don't see any difference, right? But if they see us doing it respectfully and in love, what does it say at the end? They will be ashamed of their slander. We want to be different so that they see the difference, even as we talk about our disagreements. How about this one? I will pray for our leaders. Even those I disagree with, even those who are clearly wrong. 1 Timothy 2, this is Paul, under the Roman Empire, that eventually martyred him. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings, and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Pray for all of our leaders. Who does it say He wants to be saved? Did you catch that? I'm not sure you did. All people. And that leader, that policy, the person behind the policy you can't stand, wants them to be saved. A couple more. I will seek the peace and well-being of the community and country that I live in. 
I will seek the peace and well-being of the community and country that I live in. You remember the Jews captive in Babylon. Oh, how they wanted to go back. And eventually they did after their 70 years. But as long as they were in that foreign land, as we are in a foreign land, the Bible says we're foreigners here. Our citizenship is in heaven, right? How did he tell them to live in Jeremiah 29? The Lord Almighty says to all those I carried into exile to Babylon, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers you too will prosper. Are we praying and working for the peace and prosperity of our community? Something Justin brought up this week that I hadn't thought about. Just the fact that churches are tax exempt. If churches weren't tax exempt, we would pay billions of dollars in this country to the government. Part of the reason churches are tax exempt is to help the poor, to work as charitable organizations the thought was wow what if all of us as churches began working to that end more and more as we go into the days ahead using our position to work for the peace and the welfare of our community that's what we're striving to do as we partner with various groups in our community I want to keep growing in it I hope we're characterized by seeking the peace of our community and finally I will be committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ above any political message, I believe. That will be what drives me day in and day out. 1 Peter 2, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. I believe if we commit ourselves to the gospel of Jesus above any political message, we sell out to the gospel of Jesus, heart and soul, they'll see the difference. And He says, glorify Him on the day He visits us. So as we look at those three views, I want to go back through them and I want us to just ask, which one characterizes me? Let's go back to the first one. God is everything, government is nothing. If all we see is the corruption in government, we're missing that it's part of God's plan. Does that describe any of us? Next one. Government is everything, God is nothing. Have we forgotten how big our God is? He comes first. Or are we characterized by the final description? Government is part of our sovereign God's plan. I think in closing, I want to share a quote from R.C. Sproul. He said it this way, For God's sake, we are called to be model citizens. Father, I pray for us. We, we live in a foreign land, as, as your word points out. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And there are many decisions and actions and, and choices to make. And it's sometimes confusing. 
I pray that we would be people who believe what Jesus said today. That government is part of your plan. The authorities that are established are established by you. And unless they push us to turn on you, we ought to be model citizens. Showing your, your light and your truth to a world that needs it. Help us this year as we approach November especially to guard our hearts and our minds. Help us to have the gospel and our love for Jesus Christ high above any other love. Help us to be involved. Help us to vote wisely and be informed. Help us to speak the truth with gentleness and respect. Help us to trust You that You are in control. You're the God that Isaiah saw when he said, The angel said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You're the God who spoke to Cyrus while your people were in captivity and moved his heart to bring your people home. You are in control. We will rest in that. And I pray that that peace contrasts with a world that's often living in angst and despair and worry that ought not to characterize your people. We serve a God who is high above every other power and authority. Praise you for being that God. Pray that you'd help us to bow at your feet and walk in your footsteps. Father, I pray that even as we give this morning, we would have a sense that, that it's for you. It's out of gratitude for you. Your reign. The salvation you offer in your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, please use our our humble gifts for your glory and for your kingdom. May we as a church use them to speak the message of the gospel, to bring that peace and welfare to our community, help our missionaries around the world who are doing the same thing. Lord, use us to that end as your, your citizens and citizens of this country. In Jesus' name, amen.